Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of The Gestational Diabetic. I am your host, Tracy Houston, and I am here to inform you and empower you so that you can be a competent member of your healthcare team. As a quick reminder, none of the information discussed on this podcast can be used to treat or diagnose any medical condition. If you feel as though you're having any problems with your health, please discuss them with your healthcare provider. All right, mama. So it is only a couple of weeks until Thanksgiving. So I thought that now would be a good time to address eating on Thanksgiving with gestational diabetes. I know it's, it's pretty common nowadays that uh, people suggest that you enjoy your meal when it comes to a holiday or some kind of special occasion that you just enjoy your meal without any guilt which I am 100% for and I totally agree with, but that's just not possible for everyone. Uh, there are some moms who want to enjoy with no guilt and they can do that just fine. And then there are some that maybe can't afford to have another high blood sugar number so they still have to maintain their, their uh, diet and their carb limit. And then there might be just be the mom who doesn't want to indulge because they don't want to... Um, go over the carb limits because they feel like they're hurting the baby. And you know, that still results in them feeling like they're missing out on something, uh, whatever the special occasion may be. So we are going to talk about uh, eating on Thanksgiving and I'm going to give you some tips and tricks to help navigate the Thanksgiving table. First, I wanna say, I think that we should reframe our thinking when it comes to Thanksgiving. I know Thanksgiving is a holiday and it means a lot of things. It's more than just food, it's family and togetherness and all that. But um, for whatever reason, it is always associated with Thanksgiving that we have to be stuffed. Like we have to have these big overflowing plates filled with food and we have to eat all of it and then walk around or perhaps just sit and complain about how stuffed we are and unbutton our pants and all that. And, you know, that's just not necessary. We do not have to associate overeating with Thanksgiving. It is okay to eat a reasonable amount on Thanksgiving and still have a great Thanksgiving day. So I think it's very important that we think about that and address that because so often we get caught up in the mix and just the traditional um, way of doing things that that just becomes what's expected, but it does not have to be like that. So I think that's first. Another thing is that we don't have to eat everything all at once. Now, if you're anything like me, I know that like, <laughs> it's funny, I have to have a certain pairing of foods in my mouth at the same time if that makes any sense <laughs> like I like to have macaroni and cheese and mashed potatoes in the same bite I just love the way that it tastes together and the the mouthfeel that it gives call me crazy whatever but I know I'm not the only one right so we have these things that we like but you know um especially when we're trying to be conscious of our carb intake we that that might be something that we just have to forfeit but I'm just saying that to say that we don't have to eat everything all at once. We don't have to eat, um, you know, a plate full of food and then have dessert immediately after or whatever the situation may be. We don't have to eat everything all at once. Thanksgiving is a whole day long. And truth be told, the food that we eat on Thanksgiving can be made pretty much any other day of the year. 
So, you know, there's no reason to put pressure on ourselves to live up to these crazy standards that we've just put in place year by year. And then lastly, like I said, I know that it's more than just food on Thanksgiving. It's a lot about family and togetherness and, and having a good time with one another. So if your focus is really more on the emotional aspect of it, and you really feel as though you would have a, a lesser experience if you did not enjoy this holiday as you have in previous years, then I would say just go ahead if you can, and if you can allow yourself to do it without the guilt, go ahead and have your meal and enjoy it as you normally would and do it without the guilt. Because truth be told, you're probably putting more stress on yourself than is even necessary and more stress that will negatively impact your blood sugar. If you try to think about how you can, you know, pair these foods with this and that to try to make sure that your blood sugars are controlled throughout the day instead of just free-flowing, enjoying your family, having a good time, and enjoying the holiday. Okay, so that aside, now let's talk about the food on the Thanksgiving table. So I did a poll in one of the mom groups, and um, I was just curious as to what were the most common dishes on a Thanksgiving table, and I'm going to read them off uh, in order of popularity. And actually, there were more than these, but the voting kind of dropped off significantly. So here are the top ones. It was pumpkin pie, turkey, rolls, potatoes, some type of potatoes, whether it be scalloped, mashed potatoes, whatever, stuffing, green bean casserole, corn, sweet potato casserole, and macaroni and cheese. So if you're familiar with the plate method when you're, when you're eating, the plate method, what it does is it splits your plate down in half. And on one half of it, you're supposed to fill it with vegetables that are uh, non-starchy and that pretty much low-carb vegetables that are like the freebie vegetables that they may have um, a few carbs or maybe a little more, but they, they're the type of carbs that won't have a big impact on your blood sugar. And then on the other half of the plate, you actually cut that in half again. And so you have one quarter of the plate that's supposed to be for your meats and your fats. And then another, the other, the last quarter of the plate would be for your complex carbs, which are like um, your grains or your starchy vegetables or anything that would be considered a carb on the diabetic diet. And so keeping that in mind, when we look at the list that I just spouted off, most of those fall into that quarter size starchy vegetable portion, right? The plate, uh, the, the portion that is supposed to be your carb count, the bulk of your carb count. And so um, if you were to put all of those starchy dishes onto that one plate, you'd probably have maybe one to two bites of each. So I'm going to tell you how you can make each dish a little healthier so that you don't have to worry so much about the carbs being carbs that are going to spike you. And I, by the way, I do think that following the plate method on Thanksgiving is a great way to manage your blood sugars without having the stress of 
measuring things out when you're around family and there's a lot of commotion going on or trying to carb count or you know if you're at someone else's house you don't know what they put in the food you don't know what hidden carbs are in that food so I think that the plate method is an easy way to fill up your plate and figure out what to eat while you're while you're in this time and if you need a reference I will put one in the show notes so be sure to click on the link when you're done listening here. Okay, so pumpkin pie. Pumpkin pie is actually probably the best pie to eat in terms of carbs. Pumpkin is a much lower carb than let's say if you were to have apple pie or sweet potato pie, right? And pumpkin pie is a very simple recipe. First of all, let's start with the crust. The crust using a white flour crust isn't a great idea because of all of the carbs that are in there. But what you can do is um, a walnut crust. A walnut crust with pumpkin pie would go really well. But I would say beware of the walnut crusts that are pre-made at the store because they normally are made with uh, flour also. You can make walnut crust at home really easily. The hardest part is going to be crushing up the walnuts. But you can make it and you know just be it would you would be able to be more confident that you are not eating a bunch of carbs just in the crust alone. So that's one suggestion for pumpkin pie is using a walnut crust or if you don't like walnuts, try a, um, a pecan crust. Another suggestion is that the condensed milk that it calls for, you can use a non-dairy condensed milk and it will be uh, less carbs. And then if it's the sweetened condensed milk that you're using, you can use stevia liquid sweeteners that are zero calories, zero carb. And one squeeze is like so much, it's, it's super sweet, right? So you don't need a whole lot and you can just make your own condensed milk. It's really simple. You just boil it on the stove and there are re recipes on the internet for that but you can make your own uh, condensed milk and sweeten it, and then you can make your pie out of it. And But not even that, what I like to do is when something's not sweet like I normally like it, I take whipped cream or Cool Whip and just spread that on across, you know, <laughs> because then I don't have to redo the recipe. I don't have to be upset that I'm eating something that doesn't taste good or isn't as sweet as I, as I want it to be. But that, um, that whipped cream really adds a great, um, a good amount of sweetness and it satisfies me. So I would say definitely have some whipped cream on hand. Okay, and when it comes to the turkey, turkey is plain and simple. You know, that's going to be your protein for the day. Maybe you're eating ham. Ham has fat, turkey, not so much. So um, with ham, that's a pretty good uh, thumbs up on that. With the turkey, it's a healthier meat, uh, if you're thinking about health in, in, the, in those terms, but um, that's going to be your protein, so nothing to worry about there. When it comes to rolls, either you're going to eat it or you're not, you know, because the fact of the matter is, if you're used to a regular roll, getting that roll without white flour is hard to do, so eat the roll or don't eat the roll, maybe replace the roll with cornbread. I just put up a, a recipe on the blog for low carb cornbread. It does use cornmeal and it uses almond flour in place of the uh, white flour. 
And um, it's a really good recipe. So I encourage you to go check that out. I will link that in the notes as well. And when it comes to your stuffing, you know, some people make cornbread stuffing or some people use the box or whatever, but if you're using the box, the stuffing is gonna be a lot of carbs. And if you make cornbread stuffing, again, I would encourage you to go to the blog and check out my low, cor my low carb cornbread recipe. Okay, guys, you are going to think I'm crazy for this. And maybe you've already read it on the blog, but when it comes to starchy ingredients, you know, the things that are higher carb, like potatoes, sweet potatoes, pasta, and whatever else, there is a way that is scientifically proven to reduce their effect on your blood sugar. And it's as simple as cooking it, refrigerating it, and then reheating it. I'm going to link to that article in the show notes. But listen, it's legit. These are real scientists that conducted real experiments. And they found out that when you have a starchy vegetable, it has its greatest impact when it is cooked. After that, if you, um, if you let it cool off, you will end up have, and if you let it cool off and then reheat it again to eat it later as leftovers, it's going to have half of the effect as it, as it would normally have. So that's why moms have reported that they ate the same thing for leftovers and their blood sugar wasn't nearly as high. That's why people can eat pasta salad and not have a high reading because that pasta is already cooled off. Because what, what happens is it changes the chemical makeup of the pasta. And as a result, it ends up having a lesser, a much lesser effect on your blood sugar. Now, you don't have to believe me. You can read the article. You don't even have to believe the article, but I do encourage you to try it out because that's like an ultimate hack. Okay, next on the list was green bean casserole. I really don't think you have much to worry about here except for the fried onions on top. You know, those are going to, those are obvious carbs and they're going to be empty carbs, but um, it's up to you. And then corn, there's nothing you can do about corn. Corn is corn, it's starchy, it's counted as a carb. So if you eat carb, I mean, excuse me, if you eat corn, just know that that's going to be one of your carbs. And then sweet potato casserole, honestly, I don't think it's such a good idea. And this is coming from a person who loves sweet potato casserole, but there's always so much sugar put into it. And sweet potatoes are already high carb or higher carb. And so when you add sugar into the mix and then just considering everything else that will probably be on your plate, you might want to let one or some of these things go. And for me, I would probably let the sweet potato casserole go, go first just because of the amount of carbs that are going to be in that. And then the last one was macaroni and cheese. So just like I was telling you about the potatoes, how you can warm them up or you can cook them and then cool them off and it changes the starches and the carb comp uh, composition. Same thing with macaroni and cheese. When it, when it comes to noodles, you can use this trick with the noodles. You can cool them off and then just make your macaroni and cheese the next day on Thanksgiving day, or you can make the macaroni and cheese 
one day early and then refrigerated and then the next day heat it up and it's, it'll still have the same effect. And macaroni and cheese actually isn't that bad of a choice because of all of the cheese in it. There's going to be plenty of fat and plenty of protein to help balance out those carbs. But if you want to be uh, a little more conscious about those carbs, instead of trying the, the hack that I just mentioned, you can look at different noodle choices. There are lentil noodles, which are going to be uh, a little bit lower carb, but also have a lot of protein. Or you can try vegetable noodles, like the ones that birds I make, they, they make lentil noodles and I don't even know, like broccoli noodles. They have all kinds of stuff. Bird's Eye is such an amazing brand. And uh, they're found in the frozen section, by the way. And then, uh, so vegetable noodles, or you could just use um, protein fortified noodles or 100% whole wheat noodles. All of those are better choices than the regular white flour noodles. So, um, and then of course, even if you do use just regular white flour noodles, all you have to do is portion it. Use a, eat a smaller portion. And like I said, it's macaroni and cheese in itself is, more, is a more balanced dish than pretty much anything else that's gonna be on your plate. So go for it. So to wrap it up, guys, I'm gonna say this. The number one thing that I suggest is that you have something dark green on your plate because dark green is super healthy anyway, and it's going to have a lot of fiber. And so um, try to put as much dark green on your plate as you can stand and then uh, use the plate method. Use half of your plate for low carb veggies or um, green veggies or just um, the free, freebie veggies, however you wanna think about it. And then use a fourth of your plate for the meat and the other fourth of your plate for your starchy uh, complex carbs like potatoes or stuffing, stuffing would be in that category corn, sweet potato casserole, macaroni and cheese. So it's really simple, guys. It doesn't have to be a headache. It doesn't have to be something that you dread. Just enjoy yourself. Enjoy the day. Enjoy your family or whatever else you have going on. I hope this was helpful. If you have anything you want to add, go ahead and leave me a comment at the bottom of the blog post. And like I said, everything will be linked in the show notes. So thanks, guys. I'll talk to you later. Thank you.